What is karma? Okay. That's a very good question. So I'm happy to explain that. Now, karma is—it's uh, a Sanskrit word that means action, and it originated uh, thousands of years ago, in, where uh, the Brahmins of ancient India were responsible for uh, performing various rites and rituals in their society. And it was believed that when the rituals were performed properly, that, that this would actually nourish the gods who in turn would make sure that the, that the uh, sun rose and set and that the rains fell and that the seasons progressed and that life continued as it should. And so the idea of the action of performing the ritual properly would, through a sort of supernatural agency, result in uh, everything going on as it should. And then over time, that developed into the idea that it was extended to all of the activities of a person in their lifetime. And in ancient India, there were people who were members of different castes, and there were, some castes were higher than others. And so the idea was that if a perfect person fulfilled their role properly in their life, that uh, uh, and it, whatever that role happened to be, if, if a person was a, a, a tradesman, if he conducted his trade honestly and, and to the best of his ability, or if somebody was a housewife, whether somebody was of a high caste or a low caste, there were all there were the proper ways of behaving and conducting themselves. And the idea is that if you did that, then when you died you would be reincarnated and reborn into better circumstances. So if you're in a low caste you might come to be in a high caste. And if you're in a high caste you might continue to be reborn in a high caste and maybe to a wealthier family and things like that. This was a long time ago. The Buddha came along when these ideas were the, the predominant ideas in, the, in the society at the time. And he took this idea, appropriated it, and uh, showed it could be applied in a different way. He said, by karma, I mean intention. And he gave it an entirely ethical and moral meaning that um, what is important about your actions is the intention behind them. And that in addition to the immediate and obvious results of these actions, that uh, the intentions behind those would determine the sorts of experiences that you as an individual had in the future. And so he, and he went on to explain in much more detail how, uh, how that happens, how that process of how we condition ourselves. If we, uh, if we let ourselves go to uh, engage in lustful and greed-filled activities, then we turn ourselves into a particular kind of person and we will experience 
uh, a lot of suffering as a result. Or if we allow ourselves to uh, uh, frequently succumb to impatience and anger, uh, hatred, that we'll turn ourselves into a, a kind of person that reflects that. And that too leads to a lot of uh, suffering and un- unhappiness. And he pointed out that the things that we, everything that we think, say, and do has consequences on many levels. Uh, the actions you take do have ramifications for the future. They determine how other people are going to treat you. Um, there are consequences. So there are many different kinds of consequences for actions which we know. But he's pointing out that we constantly create ourselves through our intentions that lie behind our actions and that this is an extremely important thing to be aware of because the kind of person you have created yourself to be is going to determine the kind of experience that you have in any given situation at any given time. And as we know in the world that some people that in in the same circumstances some people can be miserable and some can be happy. And that is the fruit of their karma, even though the external circumstances are the same. How they perceive it, how they experience it, how they react to it is totally different. And can't go into it in a short time like this. But actually the Buddhist teaching goes very deeply into this to for us to recognize that that all of our experience and the way that we perceive the world to be and the way that we perceive the people around us to be is a projection of our mind. That really we live in a world that's created by our own minds. And that, and, and so this very same thing I was just talking about actually goes much deeper even than what I've just described to you. Because if the entirety of the world as you experience it is a product of your mind. And if your mind is conditioned by your past karma, then that what this means is, is, is your life and your world and, uh, at, at the deepest possible level is being determined by karma. So this makes karma much more central and much more important than, uh, uh, than it even appears when, when you examine it at the most obvious level. It takes a lot of meditation practice and and mindful examination of what's happening in your mind and what's happening in your life to realize just how how deeply true this is that our our reality is completely mind created but at the level that I described a few minutes ago I think anybody can see that but you make yourself into a kind of person who experiences things in certain ways but, but then this makes karma, though, when you take it to this deeper level, it makes karma something that cuts much, much deeper than we are likely to realize. And uh, it also makes the consequences of the way that we condition ourselves moment by moment to be absolutely inescapable. Since we are the creator of our reality, we cannot escape the consequences of the kind of person that we make ourselves to be, because that is the mind that does the creating. 
What the Buddha did that is very important is he took the idea of karma and its results out of some domain of, of magic and supernatural. Before that, uh, karma was... Uh, well, I need, even the way it's often understood today is that very simplistic way that somehow there's some supernatural or magical force that is going to determine your destiny based on your karma. And the underlying truth uh, doesn't, I mean, that's hard to explain. Well, who is it that's keeping track of all this? Who's, who's keeping score? And who is it that has so much control over everything that they can make things happen in a certain way, you know? And uh, when the same thing happens to a large group of people, does that mean everybody did exactly the same thing in the past and has the same karma? You know, those things don't make a lot of sense. But the way the Buddha taught karma makes a lot of sense, it makes a lot of common sense, and we can penetrate to a, a very deep level uh, in it as well. It actually is more profound in its consequences than if there were some strange external power that had the ability to keep records on us and meet out uh, uh, results uh, in that kind of way. It is the fact, though, that whatever you experience in any moment is the result of your own past, your own internal, mental, psychological past, whether you realize it or not. So no matter what experience you're having, good or bad, uh, you need to own the fact that, that this is a direct flowering of your past thoughts, words, and deeds, and, and the way that you formed your own mind. And you can't change the past. So what's, what you're experiencing right now, you can't change. Knowing that it comes from your mind doesn't mean that you can magically say, well, oh, well then, I think I'll have my mind create a completely different kind of world, maybe where I'm a lot richer and I have all the things I want and so forth. It doesn't work like that. But if you begin to understand the way that your mind does work, then you realize that what you do in the present the experience you're having may be determined by your past, but your reaction to it and the thoughts and words and actions that you generate in this moment are what creates your future. And you can, uh, if, if the present is unpleasant or, or dissatisfying in some way, you have a choice. You can either make more bad karma and reaction to that so that in the future you're going to have more unpleasant experiences. Or you can make good karma instead, and you can cancel out the past bad karma, and you can create for yourself a much better kind of future. You're welcome. Anybody else have any comments or thoughts based on that? So it's a that, very important subject, so. That creating the, the, the better karma, mm -hmm. having the choice to create a better karma uh, for the future, mm -hmm. would be practicing those precepts we read, that we read earlier? That would that, be, that would be uh, that's, that's the way to begin, yes. If you keep the precepts, if you develop virtue, then what that does is it keeps you from making the kind of unwholesome karma 
that you have been making. Then you can go a little deeper. Well, the, the other thing that you can do is you can start making wholesome karma to replace it. So on those occasions uh, when you might have, uh, when, when there might be uh, some urge to do or say something that would harm someone else, or when you're experiencing a mental state of anger or annoyance or hatred, if you can find a way within yourself to transform that so that your anger becomes understanding and your hatred becomes compassion and your greed becomes generosity uh, and so forth, this, this is, then it becomes really powerful. You just you, you can stop doing the unwholesome things, but then you can not only stop doing the unwholesome things, but change those to more wholesome things. But then there's an even deeper level, too. If you start practicing in this way and you're mindful, you can come to realize that all of your unwholesome thoughts and words and actions are rooted in uh, desire in some form or another, aversion of some form or another, or uh, ignorance, delusion of some form or another. And so you can see that rather than trying to combat these one instant at a time, that if you can work on the underlying uh, uh, craving, on the un underlying desire and aversion and delusion, then this was far more powerfully effective than, than just trying to to change one one tendency at a time as it arises. This is where it goes. So, to like, how does one make that shift? Um, well, it, it, it's as simple as starting to recognize, you know, when you find yourself in an unwholesome mental state or having unwholesome thoughts, to be able to examine yourself mindfully and recognize the origin of that, you know. Where is that coming from? Oh, that's coming from aversion. I can see the aversion that lies beneath that. And then you can focus your attention on the aversion itself. But there is a deeper thing than that, too. Um, the desire and aversion that we experience, we, you know, as human beings, we are innately prone to this. It is what causes us to behave in the way we do, to acquire things and to seek pleasure. And it's really part of our survival mechanism and to, re to assure reproduction. So it's kind of, it's part of our brain, it's part of our mind right from the beginning. But it, as we grow spiritually, we don't need to be uh, like a, a, a more primitive kind of being who, in order to survive, needs to be driven and controlled by, by these crude uh, instincts and emotions. So that we can, as, as we develop spiritually, we can overcome and transcend these. But what we realize is that, <clears throat> when we start looking into it more deeply, is that another thing that we're born with that really uh, desire and aversion themselves are rooted in is uh, this idea of being a separate self. And, and that too, too, that's a, an inborn thing that contributes to our biological survival, that our minds will formulate this belief that we are this separate and abiding self 
that needs to be protected and cherished and served and and uh, and and so out of that flows naturally desire and aversion, the, the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain and, and uh, uh, the greed for objects, greed for sensual, sensual experiences, uh, uh, the desire to avoid or destroy that which creates discomfort or threatens our, our well-being in any way, is this self. And this is so much a part of the way our minds work that it's, it's hard to believe that it's an illusion, but it is. It helps sometimes when you can realize that um, the rest of the way you perceive things is also an illusion. <laughs> that we perceive ourselves as one particular kind of thing existing in a world of other things, other things separate and independent from us. And uh, what we can come to realize through combination of meditation and mindful observation is in fact there are no things. There are only processes. And we're only one process among many. And we are totally connected to all of these other processes. That we are a part of a whole, an inseparable part of a whole. And that every, every part of the whole that the mind can single out and distinguish is totally dependent upon every other part and totally affects every other part. So when you come to that level of understanding, the attachment to the view of self falls away. And when the attachment to the view of self falls away, then desire and aversion become... That's the elimination of delusion, by the way. When you start to overcome that delusion, then, then you are able to address desire and aversion in a much more effective way rather than just trying to combat them one instance at a time when they arise and they can be uprooted. 